And in fact, I, I hope you were, were genuinely listening as as the scriptures were being read that Joe and Zion read for us. And and without being facetious, trying to be humorous at all, it's really obvious those two passages alone could be about 50 sermons. Um, and we won't do that today. And technically, we are still studying, we're still trying to gather harvest from Psalm 119. And it may turn out, depending on, on the flow of details, it may turn out that we don't even actually read a single verse out of Psalm 119 today. Um, but we are still, again, out of, out of Psalm 119, and it's worth, worth recognizing. But this is about the word. It's about our heart, our attitude, our choices. It's about comprehending what the word offers and what is promised. But if we come to the word with these heart, these attitudes, these choices. Those offers and promises are fulfilled in our lives. And not like magic, but like, like planting a tree. <coughs> that we get to keep nourishing things that God wants to grow in us by bringing those heart, those choices, those attitudes to the Word, seeing it for what it is. And, and over time, harvesting that growth and harvesting that impact and harvesting that transformation of our lives. And as we heard those passages read this morning, still there in, in John chapter 6, the passage that Joe just read for us, where Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. And we, we've touched on this many times of what a difficult teaching Jesus drew from this conversation with his disciples. So this was a, an extensive gathering of Jesus' disciples, not just the 12, but many others. And Jesus, in portraying himself as the bread of life, is, is really recognizing that Jesus himself is essential spiritual nourishment. He is essential spiritual nourishment. So frequently throughout Scripture, literally from Genesis all the way to Revelation, bread is presented as the staple of life. That if someone had bread, they could survive. And that recognition that Jesus is saying, that's me. I'm that essential nourishment for your spiritual life. You're not going to be healthy. You're not going to be satisfied. And you're not going to have the resources you need to grow apart from that deep, intimate abiding. And he says it again in this passage as it is presented so often through the New Testament. Of me abiding in you and you abiding in me. This is not an intellectual relationship. And again, he says those who believe have eternal life. And it's not just an intellectual belief. That this belief, first of all, and I think you know this, but it's worth recognizing. If you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, your belief 
keeps growing. And part of that is, is the basics of who Jesus is, what he accomplished. If I'm in the Word and my heart is open to Word, I'm going to keep learning more and more about who Jesus is. I'm going to keep learning more and more about what he accomplished through his death and resurrection. So it takes, it takes just a tiny nugget of truth of understanding who Jesus is and what he offers. It takes a tiny nugget of truth to gain salvation. As, as we've talked about many times, plenty of people in this room accepted Christ when you're four, five, six years old. And you were not yet ready to go to seminary and, and test out of all those courses because you already knew the stuff. But you understood the basics, that Jesus was somehow the Son of God who died for your sins. And you needed him for forgiveness, and then you needed him to be the Lord of your life. And at a childlike understanding, you prayed and received that. Or like the thief in the cross, to recognize his guilt, to recognize who Jesus was, and to throw himself on Jesus' mercy. And Jesus says, you're in. So this belief gets to keep growing. The longer we're believers and the more we're in the word, that Jesus gets to say, you're going to keep understanding more and more about who I am and what I've accomplished. You're going to keep understanding more and more about my identity and, and everything we bump into in Scripture. That you and I get to have this heart, Father, as soon as you show me something and I can see that it's real, I'm ready to accept it. And it may stretch me, it may change something I already thought. Uh, I don't know if there's any way to ask this question, uh, but if I could ask for a show of hands, and I'm not going to, but if I could ask for a show of hands, and somehow you could remember your whole spiritual journey through life, and the question was, raise your hands if at some point in your life you had to give up something you misunderstood about Jesus or God or Scripture to gain a stronger, larger, truer understanding. And I would be confident that almost all of us would have to raise our hands. I won't raise that, ask you to raise your hands, because then it becomes a test of memory, and many of us will fail that test. <laughs> but that recognition that we get to recognize, if Jesus is the essential nourishment to life, I get to believe in him, and my belief keeps growing. <laughs> and the passage that Zion read, same thing. He says, man cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And so those two passages together are giving us sort of a, an interesting connection. It's not just bread, it's the Word of God. And, and it's not just the Word of God, it's the Word of God revealed in Jesus. Go with me to John chapter 1. A majestic passage. John chapter 1, starting at verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In Him was life, and life, and life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend. So, 
every word that proceeds from God, and now that revelation, Jesus is the word that proceeds from God. And go just a few verses over to verse 17 where it clarifies that and expands on that idea. In verse 17 it says, for of his fullness, I'm sorry, let's start at 60. For of his fullness we have all received and grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time, the only begotten God, who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. And so here this revelation that Jesus is the Word of God, Jesus is the full explanation. Some of your translations may say, he revealed him. <coughs> is the full explanation or the full revelation or revealing of God. So, have to include this passage. Go with me to Colossians chapter 1. So we're putting several ideas together here real quick. <laughs> Colossians chapter 1. Another incredibly majestic passage. Starting at verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. And this, this word image, he is the image of God. Um, again, I promise you, I am not a Greek scholar. I'm not a Hebrew scholar. I depend on others who are. But one of the things that, that is buried in the, in the original meaning, the roots of this word image, it's as if you have, if you have a lump of clay and you have a metal form. You, you have a die that is pressed into that clay. And now the perfect copy of that die is pressed into the clay. And that's, that's the word that's being used here. That Jesus shows us who the Father is. Jesus is all of God pressed into the flesh of a man. And obviously not his physical form, but his character, his compassion, his truth, his love, his purposes, his goals, his thoughts. Is intense. That everything that we need to understand about God is revealed in Jesus Christ. Now, how many people, I will ask for a show of hands on this. That's a simple question. How many people ever in your life have said, well, when I get to heaven, I want to ask God, and you had some kind of question you were going to ask God? <laughs> no. Most of those questions, when we get there, we don't even ask. There might be a couple. You, you might have such a profound question that God says, okay, I'll give the guys your questions have been answered just by arriving, but Jerry had such an incredible question. I'm going to answer Jerry's question for you. <laughs> Most of our questions will simply be answered by being there. But what God is saying is, most of your questions will actually be answered now by looking more deeply into Jesus Christ. Is there something that confuses you, something that scares you, something that leaves you dangling and unsure? Look deeper into Jesus Christ. He is the full explanation and revelation of who I am. Look deeper into his character. Don't settle for a Sunday school. Well, Sunday school is good. 
don't settle for a first grade Sunday school understanding of Jesus. Keep going to the higher classes to understand the fullness of Jesus Christ. But he goes on and he says, for by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions, rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. And so now here, here's this larger thing. Jesus is the source. He's the creator. But he's also the purpose for everything. Everything has been created for him. And so when we envision our purpose on planet Earth, and then we envision our, our eternal purposes, we get to recognize there is something about everything that Jesus is, and I get to be in union with all that. I'm now in Christ, in Christ abiding in me. I'm now tied into everything that the creation exists for him. And I'm a part of that. I get to harvest all those majestic purposes through eternity for Jesus. And even while I'm saying that, and I'm not, again, I'm not being facetious, I mean it. I have no clue what I'm talking about. <laughs> I can't see things that large in eternity. But he really is saying everything, everything, everything exists for the delight and the pleasure and the glory of Jesus Christ. And you are in on it. You abide in him, he abides in you, you are seated in him at the right hand of the Father. So all of this we now share in, but let's continue reading. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So he's not just the, the source and the creator and the purpose, he's the sustainer. And I know, we've <clears throat> I know we've talked about this before, but it's worth considering. Nothing can remain in existence. Not one molecule, not one packet of energy, not one photon, electron, neutron, proton, neon. You know, none, none of them can exist. That neon's not a real thing at this biological chemical. <laughs> uh, but that, it is an element. But that recognition that None of that could exist unless Jesus keeps saying, continue to exist. <laughs> I hold you in existence. And so that recognition that this, this Jesus Christ is more than we typically consider, more than we typically recognize and acknowledge. And again, part of what God is saying is, if you go deeper and deeper into understanding my son and everything that, that he reveals about me and everything that he is, it's amazing how many of your fears and questions will be resolved. And I, and I say it that way on purpose. Not necessarily answered, but resolved. So if I was getting ready to walk into a dark room and carry my... <clears throat> <laughs> my wife said, oh, it's safe. You can go in. I would have to choice to make. It's dark. I can't see in there. But I've known Carrie for about 46 years. And to my knowledge and awareness, she has never once lied to me. That way is safe. She's a fallible, sinful human being. 
But I would have deep confidence in her truthfulness to know I can step into that dark room safely because Carrie's been there and she said it's safe. Just a human being whom I trust. So now, when I'm thinking, Father, tomorrow looks real scary. I don't know what's coming and I don't have what I need, etc., etc., etc. All my fears rise up. And then I go, oh, the universe that I'm going to face in a few moments or tomorrow, this scary situation, every aspect of that is being held in existence by Jesus who loves me and has majestic purposes for me and abides in me. And very seriously, the more you grow that awareness, the more I grow that awareness, the less scary that dark room is because I trust the person who sees into that dark room. This, that passage that, that Zion read for us, you know, I mean, did Zion read that one? Um, or am I reading that? Oh, the, the, the passage I read in 1 John, in John chapter 1, that Jesus is light in the darkness. He exposes the darkness. He's not afraid of the darkness. He shows up the darkness. And so that you and I get to recognize the more I know Jesus, the more so many situations in my life are resolved. Now, pause for a moment and consider this for, for each one of us. What scares you right now in your life? Finances, health, shaky relationship, uncertainties about a career, uncertainties about education, uncertainties about the, the course and direction of someone you love and you're concerned about because you see them taking foolish steps? What scares you right now? And that your conversation with God, your conversation with Jesus Christ would include, Jesus, you're not afraid of what I'm afraid of. And, and it, it's worth <coughs> And that's even though you care about this way more than I do. You care about your blessing and purposes in my finances and my health. You care about the person I'm praying for. You care about the relationship that's broken or wounded or shaky. You care about this way more than I do, but you're not afraid. You, I saw a sign, some of you may have seen it. I can't remember which church. Some church on my way down Highway 71. It said, don't worry, God's got this. And he does, for real. It's why, it's why Paul could say, here's all the things I face, and from them all the Lord delivered me. I still had to go through them. They were still painful. They were still shattering. They were still destructive at some level. But the enemy's purposes were not accomplished because God had it, and it accomplished his purposes instead of the enemy's purposes. That's your treasure. And, and I, I know that you believe that, but I would encourage you that you actually say that back and forth with God right now. Father, my treasure through all the things I'm afraid of isn't that they will work out smooth and painless and, and, and it'll be an easy ride. That would be nice, but that's not the treasure. The treasure is that if I walk with you, your purposes are accomplished on my behalf. If I walk with you, your purposes defy the enemy's purpose, and I gain more in growth in the image of Jesus Christ. So 
all of this is supposed to lead again to more of this. Deeper belief, deeper confidence. And it goes on. He is also head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him, and through him to reconcile all things to himself. Having made peace through the blood of his cross, through him I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. And so all of that incredible power, all of that incredible strength, all of that incredible creating and sustaining power has now been delivered whole by, by the Father to Grace Bible Fellowship. That Jesus is now the head of this gathering of believers and of a gathering of believers in Bulgaria and a gathering of believers down in Venezuela, and a gather, gathering of believers in communist China, that there is no gathering of the believers on planet Earth where Jesus is not reigning as this powerful head who brings all the fullness of the Godhead into that fellowship. Now, we still have choices to make to honor his wisdom and to honor his leadership, but all of Jesus belongs to us. All of the Godhead poured into Jesus and all of Jesus given to us. That's not a little thing. And it's not just a philosophical belief that we keep at the side that, that when the leadership gathers, when the elders and the deacons gather, when, when a Sunday school group gathers to study the word, when somebody is in the back room with, with three little kiddos, that we would recognize this is a gathering in which Jesus Christ is Lord. This is a gathering in which God's purposes are being accomplished on planet Earth. And that we believe that, it, it, it leaks into our prayers. It leaks into our praise. It leaks into our expectation of blessing and something supernatural being accomplished through this imperfect gathering because of the perfect one who is the head. Now, one more along this line, if you go to Hebrews, get a passage that I'm sure many are very familiar with. Hebrews 1, starting at verse 1. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets, in many portions and in many ways, in these last days, has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. He is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature. I love that. The exact representation of his nature. And upholds all things by the word of his power. When he had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of majesty on high, having become as much better than the angels as he has inherited a more excellent name than man. For to which of the angels did he ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And again, I will be a father to him, and he shall be a son to me. And on and continues. But that recognition, that passage after passage after scripture is giving us this picture of Jesus Christ is the full revelation of God. He is the final speaking of God. That God spoke through those prophets. He said incredible stuff. <clears throat> he said incredible stuff. <laughs> and that we've been reading it and studying it 
And, and the promise is, if you read and study, you go into this, you're gathering a living word. And Peter says the same thing. This is not just a book. This is a living word because the Holy Spirit is working things in your life and my life that could not be accomplished naturally. They get to and have to be accomplished supernaturally. Now, I ask, what are you afraid of? Consider, consider Jesus Christ as the resolving of your fear of that thing. A little bit different, but I'm going to ask you right now, please don't leave this moment without having thought of something. Where do you most need to grow? Where do you most need to grow? So maybe think about marriages or relationship with your parents or your children. Maybe think about your language, your thought life, how you handle anger, how you handle temptation to lust, how you handle desire for indulgence, how you handle believing lies that you heard in your childhood and they still have a voice in your head? Where do you most need to grow? And that now there would be a dialogue between you and Jesus Christ in the recognition you're ready for that because this is a living word. You're alive to speak to the things where I need to grow. That there is nothing in me and there is nothing in you that we can say, and I've heard plenty of Christians say this, that's just the way I am. That's how, that's how all the larger men have been. That's how the Smith women have been for generations. This is my inheritance and I'm stuckers. And the bottom line is if we're talking about something biological, we can say, well, you know what? My daughter was doomed to be short because she got my genes. She can't say, well, if I pray, Jesus will make me about at least six, seven inches tall. Pray all you want, it's not happening. But if she's looking at her character and she's saying, you know what? I learned this area of bad character from my dad and he learned it from his dad and he learned it from his dad. Well, I guess I'm stuck with that that I would have the authority, my daughter would have the authority, and you have the authority to say, if it's about the character of Jesus Christ and I'm not there yet, I have no obligation to the flesh. I have the power and the authority of a living word and a living Jesus Christ who abides in me and I abide in him. And he has taken all of my sin and now grants me all of his righteousness. I have the power to grow. Now, and I keep using the word grow, and you guys have heard this 10,000 times. He doesn't say, snap your fingers and that bad thing will be gone. It's bring it over and over and over again in submission to the Word of God. Bring it over and over and over again through hard choices in submission to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Bring your thought life over and over and over again so that behind that behavior, you learn to think the thoughts of Jesus Christ instead of the thoughts that lead you to fall into that behavior. Think the thoughts of God, be transformed in the renewing of your mind because you keep bringing it to the Word. So, let's go to Luke 24.
Now, when we looked at this passage on Easter, but it's a pretty cool passage. And we won't read the whole story, but uh, starting about verse 13, it tells the story of two disciples after the death of Jesus Christ. And they don't realize it, but it's also after the resurrection. They just don't know that yet. And they're on their way to Emmaus, another town nearby. Two disciples walk together. It's probably not one of the twelve, but it's part of the larger circle of disciples. And they're sad. They have followed Jesus. They're disciples. They committed themselves to Jesus. And whether they physically saw it or not, they know that he has been crucified and put into the ground. And now they know that his body is missing. And they know that some women have said they saw him, but they're not confident. And the resurrected Jesus joins them on the road to Emmaus. And, and he basically says, what are you guys talking about? What are you upset about? And their, their answer is basically, are you the only guy in Jerusalem who doesn't know what's been happening? And they tell them about those events. And I like this. Starting verse 25, and he said to them, O oh, foolish men, slow of heart, to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? And here's verse 27. Then beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself and all his scriptures. And then drop over to verse 44, where now Jesus is meeting a different time with all the disciples in the room. And he says to them, These are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written that Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And that idea is presented several times where Jesus said, he even says it in, in John 8 to the Pharisees and the, and the scribes and the Sadducees and the people that are rejecting him. He says, you claim the scriptures, but if you really knew the scriptures, you'd know me. In fact, as Joe read, the scriptures are about me. So when we're reading Psalm 119, and it's talking about all the majestic purposes of God revealed through scripture, we get to recognize this. All scripture points to Jesus. And whether it's direct prophecy, you know, if you're reading the life of Daniel, it's worth stopping every now and then and going, now what does this show me? What does this teach me about the workings of Jesus Christ? What does this sort of look ahead to in the finished work of Jesus Christ on my behalf? And you're reading about Hannah praying for a child. And you're reading about Jacob 
wrestling with God. And you're reading about 12 tribes given a new land. And on and on and on. As you're reading all that, Paul tells us all those things were written for our edification. But what Jesus is adding to that, not just for your edification, but for your edification and a deeper comprehension of who I am, who I am for you, who you are for me. Expect more, dig more, don't settle for the surface. So this is not just because we're Christians, we're supposed to read the Bible. So I've had actually plenty of Christians two years ago, well, I know I'm supposed to read the Bible, but, and, and then they'll describe why it's difficult to read the Bible. Well, if that's how you approach it, I wouldn't want to do that either. It's not, well, I'm supposed to read the Bible. I'm supposed to do my math homework. I, I'm supposed to memorize all the capitals of all 50 states. <laughs> Why? I'm never going to visit all 50 of them. <laughs> I'm not going to the Word of God because I'm supposed to. Am I supposed to? Yes. Yes. But why? I need to comprehend and agree with God on the deeper why to that. To think like God. Father, that's where my life is. That's where my nourishment is. That's where my gathering of promises that will be there for me in a battle. That's where my commands that, that clarify for me the direction of my future growth. I need the word of God because it's life for me. And I need the Word of God because it shows me in deeper and more majestic ways the truth of who Jesus is. I need the Word of God, and it is my privilege that God has delivered the Word and then preserved it across thousands of years. And, and maybe sometime, not today, but sometime, that might even be worth it. Different than our sort of regular sermon. We just look at how God has preserved and protected and, and delivered the word through centuries and centuries of Satan trying to wipe it out. And he has. Satan has an agenda and has constantly tried to destroy the word of God. And God keeps thwarting the enemy for his own purposes. I know I, I shared this story once before, but to me, this was like a perfect example of evil appearing to triumph, and then God harvesting a victory right out of that apparent defeat. That a missionary that I know personally was trying to go to Russia and had ordered a bunch of Bibles, and, and the Russian Bibles that they were taking across the border were confiscated at the border. I don't recall now if they were stolen, or the guards just said, you can't take those in. And this was, this was as the nation was transitioning out of communism. And so he goes to the people that were going to help him do his ministry. And he says, well, I'm here and I'm, I'm ready to go preach. But all the Russian Bibles I was going to give away, they got confiscated. I don't have those anymore. And they had assigned him a guy, just a guy to drive around and do things. And he says, you just need Russian Bibles? with me, I've got Russian Bibles. And he took him to a warehouse that probably 50 years earlier, I would have to check the dates, Stalin had confiscated Bibles by the thousands. Taken them away from people's homes, house to house, saying you cannot have this book anymore. Taken them to a warehouse where they were stored for destruction. Destruction that was being arranged 
other uh, government bureaucrat. So they never got destroyed. It's like a lot of things. <laughs> and so here was an entire warehouse full of Russian Bibles. And he said, take all you need. God kept those Bibles for decades. As he said, that's my word. And I still have a purpose for it. So you and I get to recognize this majestic word is powerful. And, and we are such fools, you and I, we are such fools if we neglect it. And Peter says that too. Let's not neglect this. Let's gather it up. It's a living one. It will nourish me. So that whether it's the Psalms, whether it's the writings of Moses, whether it's the writings of the prophets, Jesus is saying, all of that points to me. And now in the New Testament, all of it flows from me. There is one story through all of Scripture, and it is the salvation of Jesus Christ. You know, some of you know this. So the name of Jesus basically means God's salvation. And in the Hebrew Bible, over and over and over again, where it says his salvation or the Lord's salvation, God's salvation, or someone talking to God, your salvation, or God speaking, my salvation, over and over and over again, that word is the name of Jesus. So that all through the Old Testament, God was saying, are you paying attention? I've been talking about him for centuries. That if you are listening, when he shows up, and then he told Mary and Joseph what to name him. This isn't Bob, this isn't Jack, this is Jesus. Because his name means God's salvation. And Jesus is just the translation that worked its way into the English language. Yeshua, in some form or another, is the actual salvation of God revealed in Jesus Christ. So you and I go into the word knowing this whole word is about Jesus. And this Jesus is my salvation. Now, when Jesus says believe, we talk about this word a lot. Believe, have faith, grace, Bible, fellowship. We go for grace through faith. This belief is a recognition. I'm not just believing that Jesus existed. I'm not just believing that he was a man. I'm not just believing that, that 2,000 years ago in Israel, there was this guy walking around preaching. I'm not even just believing that he's God the Son. I'm not just believing in the facts of Jesus. This belief means I throw myself on that truth in utter dependence that this Jesus who accomplished this death belongs to me. And so when Psalm 119 several times says, you know, I long for your salvation. We could go back and read Psalm one time and go, I long for Jesus. Now that we see that Jesus is the word, the logos, the, the very speaking of God, all through Psalm 119, when he says, your word, I love your word. I submit to your word. I gather up your word. I pay attention to your word. 
I'm listening and gathering and paying attention to Jesus, the full revelation. Everything you've ever spoken is fully captured in Jesus Christ. So we're going to, this is, I'll say this and then we'll see if I'm telling the truth. We're going to finish with Psalm 119 next week. We'll see if I'm telling the truth. That's not a prophecy. The Holy Spirit did not promise me that that's going to happen. <laughs> that's just a little man point. Um, it may go longer. But, but I want us to, to gather this recognition that when we're reading Psalm 119 and studying Psalm 119, and we're gathering all, all these perspectives from, from Psalm 119, that we're recognizing this is not just a Bible this is not just a book. This is not just a moral code. This is Jesus fully revealed. And now this is scripture fully revealed in Christ. It's the heart of God spoken to us. And we recognize they're inseparable. I cannot love the word of God while rejecting Jesus. I cannot love Jesus maturely and well while I neglect the word of God. So that if I have a genuine faith and love in Jesus Christ, I now have a reason to say, Jesus, if I'm going to understand you more deeply, I have to be in your word every day. I have to be in your word deeper tomorrow than I was yesterday. I have to be going further and, and tasting more and enjoying more. If I get it, tasting more and enjoying more of your word than I did before. Because this is a love relationship, and I need to see you and understand you more. Let's pray together. Father, I do thank you that you love sharing yourself with us. You love it. Father, when you created Adam and Eve, you said, let us make man in our image. That there was already a joyful love relationship, a joyful oneness between Father, Son, and Spirit. And you created Adam and Eve to be in on this love relationship. And Father, we have no comprehension of how it grieved your heart that Adam and Eve sinned, had to be thrown out of the garden, and in that day spiritually died to their union. But I want to thank you that now you've offered us the restoration of that union. That this image is it just about intellect or capacity to choose? This image is about love relationship. And that Jesus is the full image of who you are. Jesus is the expression of love relationship. And Father, I pray for myself. I pray for each one of us that we would go into work with a more confident, joyful expectation that if I'm in the word, I really will come to comprehend more of who Jesus Christ is. If I come with these choices and these attitudes that Psalm 119 lays out for me, I will gather a deeper love and appreciation of who Jesus is to me and for me. And then out of that, my heart can respond that because he loved me first, I love him then. Father, I pray that your spirit would help each one of us in this group to, to comprehend your grace. That you're not standing over us waiting to catch us at something so we can punish us. 
You're standing next to us offering treasure because you love us and you want us to share in all that treasure with you, to enjoy the fullness of our inheritance. Father, thank you for your patience. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your incredible generosity that you intended to share the fullness of Jesus Christ with us and then bring us fully into the union that you and your son have always shared. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name.